And so the ushers are going to come. I was looking at this group of ushers and said, this is the A team of ushers right here. Man, this is a, this is a good crew of our community. Thank you guys. And so as we do so, we've been singing too, to be reminded about how much this is worship for us. So there's, a, there's an old song, it's called the Doxology. And so if you know it, sing it. If you don't, the words are behind me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So in the, in the Gospel Primer series, we've been trying to grow, and not that it happens in the course of eight weeks, but we're going to kind of to increase our reality of gospel sort of fluency, the reality of being able to share good news, know good news, know this big story of what God is, has done, is doing, and is going to do in the world. We want to grow in that reality. We want the ability to be able to share our own story and to be able to see our story connected into the bigger story of God. God, which takes incredible, it takes almost new eyes to be able to see this. So we've been talking about this. We've been talking about listening as, as last week and about being able to listen into the stories of others to hear the themes of people's stories. And so today we're talking about the, the reality of these four great truths. And so the big, the message, big idea this week is that not many Christians think of themselves as unbelievers. So when we have these classifications of unbelievers, that usually is, oh, these are who are outside, and those are the unbelievers, and those who are inside, they're the believers. But the reality we want to talk about is not so much this idea of um, that unbelievers are those who are outside, but, but we, want to no we normally use this term to describe people who are seekers or not yet disciples of Jesus. But there are many things about God that we actually do not believe, as, as, as we are still struggling to believe that maybe we're not even honest enough to really tell the truth about what we believe. And so often there's a large gap between what we say we believe in our head and what we truly believe in our heart and what's lived out in our actions. And that this, from what flows outside of our heart, is what really is behind all sin. Right, when even Jesus said, well, hey, the issue isn't these outward things, the issue is what's flowing from the inside of your heart out into your life, that's the issue. And so we're saying behind this unbelief, which is a part of every one of us here. And I love, Sarah, your story of continuing to decide, I, I'm in the middle of restoration. I'm in the middle of my beliefs being restored to the reality of me seeing the world being restored. And every one of us is true. That, that is true for every one of us here. We're in the middle. And today you might feel like you're even at the beginning, depending on where you are in your frame of reference. That's the big idea. One of the big scriptures is from Romans 1.25. Just the first part of this, Right? It says this, he's talking about humanity here in Romans. It says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And this is, this is what we're kind of talking about, about there's truths, but yet we exchange them. We, we distort it and we begin to believe a lie. And the big takeaway that we want to do today, sort of where it's progressing to, is moving from unbelief to belief about what is true of God uh, is a big part of the gospel fluency. And this is what's true about God. It's a big part of gospel fluency, discipleship, and the way 
out from our sinful thoughts, actions, and emotions. That's our, that's our journey today. This is not one that gets resolved, but it's, it's beginning language. It just helps us to understand how, how to live, how to engage in this reality of moving from unbelief to belief as a regular part of our life. And so, so much, I, want, I would love to phrase this from this idea of our lives with this term called double knowledge. Uh, most of us think that we want to learn about God, and so to learn about God, where do you go? Maybe the Bible, uh, maybe this church, maybe you go to school and study theology. And so to learn about God, you think, well, you teach about God. But the reality is that you really can't know about God without knowing what is true about yourself. And so Peter, who was all the disciples of Jesus, really began to understand who God was when they were able to understand who they were. And so the same is true of us. You can't really know who you are if you're going to explore yourself. And many people go to psychology or to therapists or to other things in order to learn about who they are. But you really can't know who you are unless you know who God is. So we call this double knowledge. And so today, when we talk about this idea, this sort of this truth, and these gospel truths, I want to begin from a spot of knowing that in these, these gospel truths reveal a truth about who God is and about who we are. And that the best part of knowledge is this double. And we need both. You can never really know yourself without knowing God. And you can never really know God without really knowing yourself. And I think we're going to see that as we begin to look into this today. Knowing ourselves as we really are. So when you begin to take a look at yourself as you really are, this inevitably brings up a whole bunch of stuff against what the Bible calls sin. When we really speak about who we are. We heard the story um, uh, from the back and Andy was sharing. Andy, your wife's name was Diane. She was run over by the car, right? And, and, and the other person waved her through and then ran over. And he's like, man, who could do that? And the reality of the truth is I could. I, you know, I'm so oblivious to people when I'm driving somewhere. You know, cars that are slow are in my way. Right, I, I, could, I could be the one to not see, right? And, you know, and it's like, I praise God that your wife is okay. You know? But the reality is that when I really start telling the truth about the actions of my life, when I, I'm a terrible driver to begin with, but the actions of my life and the way I drive sometimes says I don't care about, it shows my lack of concern for other people by the recklessness of the way that we drive. And so when we begin to kind of know ourselves, it, it brings up stuff in us, what the Bible calls sin, and it doesn't take much self-awareness to recognize that there are some very basic things about us that are not as they should be. But today, I, I, we're not looking at the idea of um, fixing and self-improvement all the years that shouldn't be. We're talking about spiritual transformation. And spiritual transformation is the goal of Christian spirituality. And the a spiritual transformation takes place when we had this really deep knowing. And this deep knowing has three things I think we need to start for so we can even understand these truths. A deep knowing, right? Um, a deep knowing of ourself, a deep knowing of reality. I have these up here that begins with these three things. The first is this, that we know ourselves as deeply loved by God. If we don't begin there, you can't, you can't begin to start telling the truth about yourself. Right? Because, man, every one of us is wanting to hide. Every one of us is wanting to ignore. Nobody really wants to tell the truth about maybe some of the things that we believe. Right? We, we can't, 
we, we, we pretend so much we can't, even, we, we can't even tell the truth to ourselves so often. Right? The way that we can even pretend to ourselves. Self-deception is a huge thing. We begin, no, I am brave, I am courageous, I am strong. But we can't. And so it begins. If we're going to begin on this journey of truly knowing ourselves and God, it begins with this reality. If there's anything you hear today, if they're trying to go on this journey of spiritual transformation, it starts here. You're deeply loved by God. And I don't know... If we ever move on from that, that knowing, right? Has anybody here mastered that truth? Is there anybody here? In, you know what? Was that a new idea for anybody here? You're loved by God. Right where you are. Deeply loved by God. Remember when you hear that when Kate was telling us the story, the big story, and when Liz was kind of saying our stories are broken up to the, the parts, the four parts of the big story, what does it begin with? Creation. And why does God create? Out of joy, out of love, he made us. He made all humanity at an overflow of his goodness and his love. He loves us. And if you, you remember the story when part two of that, when you fall into sin and God begins to pursue us, why does he pursue us? Exactly, we don't know, right? Because he loves us. The whole story, this whole part, this, the deepness of this knowledge begins from a place of knowing, experiencing this reality, even in our heart, that you are deeply loved by God. And I think this order is incredibly important because the second part is this. I think the slide's up there, right? Knowing of ourself as deeply sinful. But this is the knowing of ourselves too that we're trying not to deny. We're not, we're not trying to hide from the reality that things in our lives are not as they should be. But see, the story doesn't end there, right? Because, okay, so you remember the four parts of the story? Creation. And in your creation, you were created in the image of God, deeply loved by God. That's your identity. But also part of our being is that we are also deeply flawed by the fall, right? In the core parts of us, these core temptations all us had, we are deeply sinful, the fall. But the, the deep knowing of ourselves is this, that's what Sarah pointed to today. The knowing of ourself in a process of being redeemed and restored. God is at the work of doing that in you and in me. And when we can position our life from these three things, and if you ever know you're hung up in one of these spots, or you kind of say, no, I've arrived, and spiritual transformation is when you don't need to be restored, and when you don't need to be redeemed. But no, spiritual transformation is the process of turning to God when you need to be redeemed and restored. That's what spiritual transformation is. And if you're like me, you're tempted to step in here every week and say, I've been restored and rescued and redeemed and I don't need to be transformed. But the truth of the matter is that number three, I'm living constantly in that reality. And spiritual transformation is not the arrival, but it's the process of turning to God in the midst of our brokenness with the total and utter inability to do anything about our brokenness and sinfulness and step before him and allow him to transform us because he deeply loves us.
So, okay, so that's my opener, right? How's that start? I don't think you can get to these four truths without being anchored in this reality of what true knowledge is, right? So we're, we're on this, the big story, and we heard that, and we hear that big story, and I loved um, Liz about, about Sharon, about Liv, about Sharon, about Layla and her identity, right? Her identity saying, I'm black, I'm beautiful, I'm fun. And the challenge for many of us is when we think about our own identity, we don't, we don't know, like, okay, who am I? What is my identity? And when we get to there, I long to be a person who would say, that is who I am, that's my story. Created. Loved, deeply loved by God who danced at my birth. Who danced at your birth, Mike. Who celebrated you being shaped in his likeness. He formed you from the innermost parts of you in your mother's womb. He did that, it says. He also created everything. That's the story of creation. And were we flawed? Oh, absolutely. We broke in. Did we turn our own way? We do our thing? Absolutely. My story is one being a deeply loved sinner of God who's in the process of transformation and rescue through the work of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So today, as we look about this, and we're going to be looking at these things about this, the story that we're in today, we know that in our deep knowing about God and ourselves, there's usually a big gap, especially between our head to our heart. And we want to talk about that gap. This gap that in my head says, God loves me. But here I think, God hates me. Or he's abandoned me. God's not making me happy. Um, you know, I'm going to have to do everything on my own. God's not for me. Oh, I really messed up. You know, I've, I've done one too many things. I should have known by now and I haven't learned my lesson. So now God's turned his back on me. Or now I need to prove something this time from God for him to really do something good in my life, right? We, from our head to our heart, this is the distortion that we know these things, we can spout off these truths, but yet to live into them, that, that, there's usually a distance there. A big gap. And closing that gap Closing that gap is sanctification. That is the transformation. We close that gap between what we say in our head and the way we're acting out in our heart. Is that part where God really wants, where we really need in our lives of becoming more like Jesus. Um, you know, in the last number of weeks with the school shooting in Florida, there's all kinds of lessons, there's all kinds of things that I've been thinking about through all this, right? And it still comes up and um, terrible, right? Uh, and so, I, I, allow me to um, process something with you that I've been sort of considering is in light of what we're talking about today. And so when I bring this up, I'm not bringing up the whole narrative, right, on all the different places that you might be pulled into that story. But there's one that I found really interesting, and it's the one where the police officers were sort of being questioned about not entering the school, Right? When, uh, for whatever reasons, and so they've been labeled cowards, and there's like um, footage, right, where they can kind of see their actions at different times of one particular police department that didn't enter into the school. And, and I reflect upon that because there's a, it, it, it's almost this idea of like, um, like if I knew that people were watching, or if I, th th there's so many scenarios. And so that one scenario, you know, they're, they're sort of being questioned, and I don't know the full story, none of us know the full story yet, right? And I don't know if we will. But sort of being questioned as being labeled like, hey, you, um, 
there was something you should have done and you should have stepped in, right? That was sort of the expectation. You should have had the courage to go in there and do something in the light of something really terrifying and dangerous. You should have moved in. And so they're on camera not doing what everybody expected them to do. And the reality of for my life, I was even thinking about that, it's like, that's terrifying. Not, not, it's terrifying knowing that there should be something I should be doing and I'm caught on camera not doing it right? Um, like this huge test and all of a sudden this big thing that everyone's going to watch that you're supposed to be stepping into and you're caught doing the opposite thing. Because the truth is that's all the time for me, right? Where it happens all the time where there's maybe something that would be good that would be expected and I'm not doing it. But the, the truth is, is that it's not caught on camera, right? Nobody's exposed to that, to my fears and to my failures and to that. But, but it wouldn't take much. It wouldn't take much to expose us all to the idea that I would say I would act one way, but the reality, I might choose to do something else. So Hebrews 3, when it says, what do we do about this distortion? Well, Hebrews 3 in verses 12 and 13 says to it, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And so what they're talking about is an unbelieving heart. Right? So that, yeah, it's, it's, it's our head where we know these things, but it's our heart where we begin to live it out. So we're like, hey, help each other. See to it that none of you has this sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So this is what we're talking about. How do we live in this as community? I love this text. It says, hey, be careful. All of you, brothers and sisters, be careful that you don't get swayed away from what's true by a heart that doesn't believe the truths of God. And so you, then you sway away from God. And the truth of the matter, I mean, we can live in church. We can go all the things, yet have an unbelieving heart that believe that God loves us, has our good in mind, that he's kind, that he's gracious, that he's forgiving. And be around it all the time. And the majority of us are living in that reality. So see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Where we turn away from God as our source of rescue and redemption and we begin to turn to ourselves or any other solution. But it says this, but encourage each other daily. And so today we want to be looking at these sort of encouragements of how we can encourage each other to not turn away from the living God, to encourage each other with what's true. As long as it's called today, so that our hearts may not be hardened. And so our struggles reveal our hearts. And in our heart, in the Hebrew term, they talk about heart and from the Eastern mindset. It's your mind, it's your emotions, it's your will. Your will. And all this illuminates what's in your heart. And so um, David Benner, he wrote this book called The Gift of Being Yourself. He's a Christian um, therapist that I, I deeply love and is kind of helping me on this journey of the personal investigation of my heart. To be able to be, try to be honest and true 
understanding God's love, but also my own brokenness. So it's that everything that's false about us rises from our belief that our deepest happiness will come from living life our way, not God's way. And although we may, we say we want to trust God and surrender to his will, deep down we doubt that God is really capable of securing our happiness. Do you, can you relate to that? Here's it being spun from another direction. Unhappiness, personal unhappiness. Any, anybody here unhappy? Everybody's like, oh, I'm not going to raise my hand. <laughs> Especially you're sitting next to one of your spouses, right? You know, <laughs> One of your spouses, I made it sound like. <laughs> we're, not, we're not that kind of a church if you're a visitor. We struggle. We're not really that good at following all God's commandments, but we're not that kind of church. All right, now, sorry, I'm off track. Here's the opposite of this term. Unhappiness is always a result of not being able to do something I want to do. Not having something I want to have. Or my concern about what others think of me. Does that, does that fit? And so what's at heart here is this sort of like this false self that's breathing out its work in all of us. That we begin to place our value in what we have or what we can do or what others think of us. And this is really dangerous. And the only hope for unmasking this falseness that might be at live with each of us resides at the core of our being is a radical encounter with truth, right? The only way to come against all these sort of lies and distortions about who we need to be or what we should have about our own happiness is to encounter truth. Nothing other than truth is strong enough to dispel illusion, and only the spirit of truth can save us from the consequences of having listened to the deceiver and the liars of our souls. See, the core, um, the core of all deception, the core of the lie that happened in the garden at the fall, and we go back to that story of saying you were deeply loved by God, but yet we are deeply sinful the core of the lie for Adam and Eve that the serpent said is that you can be God without God. You can have what you want without God. You can have life and the, and the best of it without God. You can have life without life. You can get there without God. And so in, in a sense, we are created in God's image to be to continue to grow into God's likeness. But the biggest deception is when we're continuing to tell, oh, you can have God without God. You can have all of that, but yet without him. And so for so many of us, we're actually, that's what we're in the process of trying to do. To be like God without God. And only the spirit of truth can save us from the consequences of having listened to this deceiver rather than God saying you can be like God without God. And so these four truths that we want to look at here just for the next real quick few minutes are ones that are just to help us to say here's a truth about God and here's potentially what they reveal about ourselves. this double knowledge. Right? And some of them they help to reveal where we're trying to be God without God. 
And so these four truths were created by this guy named Tim Chester. And he just kind of said, man, we can kind of look maybe at all the sin patterns, all the lies of our lives. And, we th- and he's like, I think these four truths speak into a majority of them. They don't cover everything. All these four truths should be anchored under the title that God loves us, Right? But here's the four truths we've been looking at this week. And they help us to sort of analyze the way we're living for what they reveal about ourselves and what they reveal about God. So here are the four truths. And kind of think which one grabs your attention. Which one sounds the best to you. Which one maybe even connects to the way that you view yourself or the world as they reveal certain things about you. So the first truth is this. God is great. And so because God is great, here's what it reveals about us, right? Because knowledge about God has always revealed something about us, this double knowledge. You can't know about God without knowing about yourself. Because God is great, what does it tell about us? I don't have to be in control. Because God is great. Because he is powerful is what the Psalms say. These two truths I know about God. He is good, he is loving, he is powerful. He's great. There's no one outside of the greatness of God. And so if you struggle to believe in the greatness of God, you might be tempted in order to grab control for yourself. You might try to take control of yourself in harmful ways through manipulation and domination. You might try to wear yourself out with busyness or frustration. You might try to take control of your security and make wealth a bigger priority in your life than it should be. Your drive towards control, if you're taking it into your own hands, will drive you to worry. We might become preoccupied with bills and money and they become our main obsession. And maybe all because we don't believe in the greatness of God. To know what we need and its ability to be able to provide it in all the circumstances of life. His greatness for his power and his salvation and his life to breathe in. And so that's one of the first truths. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. And it's not always you get to hear a story like JD's, where it's almost in the snap of the fingers we, we see this. But this reality, the circumstances of life change. And so when they do, does this make it harder for us to believe that God's great? When we struggle to understand what's happening in the world and why things have happened where there are no answers. Yet it comes down, can we trust God to reign? Because he's great. The second truth of these four eternal truths they continue to help reveal whether or not it's here and really here, is that this, God is glorious. And because he's glorious, meaning weighty or heavy, I don't have to fear others. I have to live in the fear of others because the, the reality of God's kavod is the term for weightiness and holiness in Hebrew. That God is other. And for anyone who stepped into the presence of God in the scriptures, the real presence of God, their eyes were open to, there was one response. They would fall on their face. They would, they would be undone. 
there was a reverence and an awe being in that encounter where everything else washed away. A lot of times there's this depiction in the scriptures when it talks about um, this, this reality called the fear of God, meaning the reverence for God. A reverence for God that will lead us to worship him, right? To be in all of him. Um, a reverence for God that we would obey him out of this reverence for who he was. That whatever God, because of his weightiness, because of his bigness, because of his, his majesty, we'd be like, there's no other like you. But sometimes it's, it, that's compared to our, our fear of other people. And that people would ignore the reality of God's weightiness and his glory, his presence. And they would fear people. And so they begin to live in accordance with the way that people wanted them to live and not in accordance with the way that God was desiring for them. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. And so, you know, people pleasers, right? I mean, this is all the stuff that we say, man, if God's glorious, why am I still living to try to impress people, to live for them out of their fear of their rejection or something? So Ed Welch, in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small, he says, the fear of man has so many symptoms. Susceptibility to peer pressure. Being really needing, maybe even in a relationship, with a, in a dating relationship, or even in your marriage. A concern with self-esteem. Being overcommitted because you cannot say no. The fear of being exposed. Continuing to share these little small lies in order to make yourself just look a little bit bigger and better. People making us jealous and angry and depressed or anxious. Avoiding people out of fear for them and comparing ourselves with others. But if God's glorious, if he is the one that captures all of our minds, thoughts, and our views upon him, we, we, don't, we don't have to be in fear of other people because we can live in the reality of his love, even in the midst of his glory. The third, the third eternal truth is this. God is good and because he is good, what do we know about ourselves? That we don't have to look elsewhere for our satisfaction. That our satisfaction is purely found in God and his goodness and his ability to be able to know us and to meet us. And A.W. Tozer, and he's, he's written extensively on, on God. He talks about the goodness of God. And he says the goodness of God is what moves God to dispose himself. It's just a part of who he is, to be kind and, and cordial and, and benevolent and full of goodness towards all humanity. But God's just quality is that he's tenderhearted and quick to sympathy. And that God's unfailing attitude towards all humanity is open, frank, and friendly. By God's nature, he's inclined to bestow blessedness and to take pleasure in the satisfaction, the happiness of his people. That's what the goodness of God is. He takes pleasure in our own being satisfied in him. See, God in himself is, is purely in his own goodness. He is satisfied. As we look at the trinity of God, three in one, in perfect communion with one another, perfect self-giving, perfect relationship, perfect submission in one another. This is the 
perfect expression of love and goodness. And in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have a God who is coming and he's inviting us with all of our mess into his goodness. And to his happiness of satisfaction in his being, saying, come and be a part of my love. Understand my love for God. Just be a part of my love for others. Be a part of my love for the world. It's a part of God's goodness. And he invites us into that. To that complete satisfaction of being in God. Being drawn into him. Because God is good, you don't have to look elsewhere for your satisfaction. The fourth truth is this. God is gracious. So I don't have to prove myself. To myself, to others, or God. You see, this is truth. If God is gracious, mean, meaning this, that God's goodness is directed towards our debt and our wrongdoings, he directs his goodness that direction. That it's by his grace that God, he puts merit where you, you, where you get what you, you, you didn't deserve any of God's goodness placed upon you. You deserved wrath and punishment. Because of the debts we had accrued. But grace is where we didn't have any merit. We had nothing that we could lean upon in order to be good and right in the eyes of God where he places this upon us. Merit. A.W. tells us he imputes merit where none previously existed and declares no debt to be, to be where one had been before. He says there's no debt. When there was a massive amount of debt, he graciously forgives. God is gracious. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. This is who God is. To pour benefit upon the undeserving, that's us. And so when we know that God is gracious, we don't have anything to prove. We have nothing to earn. Because God pours about, pours upon blessing and goodness and his love on the undeserving. So when we're trying to earn or prove something, it just shows we don't believe God's gracious. And so we want to be God without God. We want all the blessings of God without God, without his grace. We want to be able to earn everything without the exposing of our great need that we don't deserve anything, right? That's where that comes in, this double knowledge. God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves. And so here would be the question. Where is it that you're struggling to believe the realities of these today? Which of these truths and, and the, also the truth about yourself are you struggling to live into? Where are your fears and your frustrations and your tendency revealing about the reality? Is it that God is great and, because you're striving to find control? And so you're trying to be God without God, gaining control by everything you do without God being the one who is in control? Is it um, that you're struggling to believe that God's glorious and so you're just fearing others and trying to be a people pleaser instead of really realizing what it is to please God, which is just to have faith, to trust in who he is and the glorious awe of his awesomeness. And to let nothing um, trump, let nothing get in the way of our reverence for God? Is it that God's good and you're struggling to believe there and you're trying to find your satisfaction everywhere else? Or is it that God is gracious 
and you're struggling to prove yourself to yourself or to God or to others. When we begin to identify these, the distance between our head and our heart and that gap that's there, the solution is not to fix ourselves. We need an encounter with the truth. The truth of God, the deep truth, these truths that remind us about who God is. I love this again, so let me, let me leave you with this. Spiritual transformation does not result from fixing our problems. I've, I've lived in that reality of thinking that spiritual transformation is when my problems are fixed. Spiritual transformation results from turning to God in the midst of them. And meeting God just as we are. Turning to God is the core of prayer. And turning to God in our sin and shame is the heart of spiritual transformation. And so when we talk about these four truths and living these into the midst of community, what we're talking about is others being able, that we're going to open ourselves up enough with others in order to tell the truth about maybe our doubts and our fears and the things that we're really scared about, our frustrations, to tell the truth where we're trying to fight for control, where we don't really believe in the grace of God, we're trying to earn something, we're trying to acquire, we're trying, we're, we're struggling with our unhappiness because everything that we think that we wanted, we didn't get, we don't think God's good. And we're going to expose the reality of maybe even our own brokenness before others. And not have to fix it, but allow the truth of God as others encourage you with the, the reality of maybe one of these four truths. And allow the Holy Spirit to come in. And for us to take these lies that we're believing about ourselves, about God, and about the world. And in our helplessness, hand them to God and say, Hi right, God, here's me. In all of my weakness, and allow God to do something. I pray that you would have the courage, the space this week, and even as you engage in your groups, to turn to God in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your fears and your frustrations, in the midst of all these things that maybe reveal that you don't really believe, the things that you think you should. Turning to him in prayer and turn to God. Sometimes the discoveries that we have about ourselves are really deep and are really scary. But in them, these deep places, even the places of despair, what a gift to come to the end of ourselves and to have no other place but the hope of God to meet us. I pray that God would do that. I pray that today that this reality of the truth that could set us free is available. It's available for those of us who, who genuinely desire it. If we're willing to reflect upon our own experiences and the realities of our relationship with God and if we have the courage to meet with God in solitude and with others, we believe that this truth can set us free. And so as we close here, here's a couple of things I want to leave you with um, as we kind of go. Here's a prayer if this journey about really knowing the truth of God, it begins with God revealing to us how much he loves us, could you pray that, that God would just reveal to you his perfect love? That's a really simple prayer. God, would you reveal to me your perfect love? Would you pray that this week? 
I think when we go into our groups and we begin to hear about our own stories and our experiences, the hope is that when we gather that God would begin to reveal his perfect love as we begin to encourage each other with the truth about who God is. And his perfect love begin to be revealed for us. We pray that he could reveal that to us in a way that we could understand it and know it here. And so let's just pause and, man, right? I even like say, hey, would you go and pray and ask God to reveal his perfect love? I say that, and, if, and many of you are like me when I went to church, and I still do. You're like, oh, yeah, great idea. And all of a sudden you show back next week, and you're like, what did he tell us to do? Or, I didn't do any of it, right? Let's, let's ask him just to do it right now. How about when we're here? How's that sound? And so, um, because we're all in need of this, can we all ask it? And um, I, I love the idea of being really verbal, right? Because it shows all of us are in need of this. So would you say it out loud to where you could hear it and the others could hear it around you? So that we would know we're all in the same spot. Our greatest need is to know God's perfect love as the core of our identity. And so um, let's, let's voice it so we can hear it ourselves. And let's pray, right? So God, reveal to me your perfect love. If you didn't get a chance, you know, I'll, I'll say it again with you, right? If you, you didn't want to hear, you're scared of being the only voice. So on three. <laughs> right? We, baby steps, man. Right? Baby steps. One, two, three. God, reveal to me your perfect love. Let it be God. Here's the other question that I would love for you to ponder as you go this week and you enter your groups, because I think it might expose um, an area where you need the truth of God, maybe these four truths. Here's this. What makes you feel the most vulnerable and most like running for cover? Let me ask God, what makes you feel the most vulnerable where you want to hide and run for cover and want no one to see the reality of your life? Is it when you get caught doing something, when you, right? What is that, what is it that makes you the most vulnerable? For me, a lot of times when I, when I misstep, I don't care for somebody appropriately. Where I knew something was going on and I do nothing about it. It makes me feel the most vulnerable when I know that I've wronged somebody. I feel so vulnerable. I want to run and hide. I want to go away. And so, Father, we pray in the light of what we've been going today that your truth would be revealed to us as we gather in community, even here, God, which one of these do you want to speak into the core and the soul of our being? We pray, Lord, that you would do so. That these truths, God, would set us free from patterns that have bounded us up with lies. We pray, God, that there'd be a deep healing that would take place at the core of our being. That we, with confidence, God, would know and we could say, as Layla did as she stood dancing in her kitchen, that we are deeply loved by God. And that we're sinful. But that you, God, are in the process of redeeming and restoring us. Because you are great and you are glorious and you are good and you are gracious. Let your truth, God, set us free. 
And so, Lord, let us hear your spirits whisper as we sit alone with you, as we pray. And God, may we hear your voice as others gather around us and speak into our fears, our frustrations, and sins. Let us not hide. So God, would you give us the courage that we could really be known and really experience your truth and freedom so we would know how to share good news with others. with your truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.